0: We got a real simple plan: one me and one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. Touchdown! You're a fan. You might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now, alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. High risers at the NFL Combine. It is championship week in college basketball. And what did Pete do in Indianapolis? This is the College Game Day podcast for Tuesday, March 7th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here. So, Pete, before we get into all of the things that happened at the NFL Combine and before we make some conference championship game picks, did you get the St. Elmo's? And are you a connoisseur of the cocktail sauce that once made a giant vein pop out on Jay Williams head when he didn't realize how hot it was. I still have the picture of my phone. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen.
1: I did make it to Elmo's. Here's a, here's a little, a little tip um, for those uh, for those ducking into Indianapolis as we often have to do on the college sports beat. There's a speakeasy upstairs from St. Elmo's that a lot of people don't know about. And uh, at the combine, It is a uh, it's a good little hidden gem place. Uh, Bruce Arians for years would uh, park there and uh, enjoy an afternoon cocktail after a long day of uh, watching 40s and three cone drills. (laughs) Uh, It was a big Matt Rule spot back when uh, back when he was in the NFL. And Matt would obviously go to the combine, too, when he was a college coach at Temple and Baylor. Um, So I did go up there. I did not have the cocktail sauce. Um, I feel like there's a little bit of a novelty act to something that hot, right? Like you're like, Oh, you got to try it. You got to do it, and I've had it. But, like, do you really enjoy something of that temperature? So um, I, I do really. I do. Okay. yeah, I like
0: it. but it has to taste good. It can't be hot for hot sake, correct. and i don't yes. I don't think that there that that sauce is hot for hot sake. Uh, the j the J. Williams story, we were there for. Champions Classic one year. And we we have a a nice room and in in the back. And they bring out the shrimp cocktail. And no one or or maybe he hadn't realized the magnitude of what the warning was. And he takes a shrimp and he, I mean, he goes in. In big, you know, big thing, doesn't realize. Bite immediately hits him, you know, sinuses, whole thing. And I take a picture of him because he, you know, he's not going to spit it out. So I grab the phone, I take a picture of him. <laughs> you could see the sweat beads on his head and the veins sticking out. So occasionally, I'll just, I'll just send the picture to him to remind him. He also then later, uh, as if to prove he could do it again, there that was the wager, like our race for the ribeye. Mm-hmm. I've forgotten what the contest was, but the the wager was the loser had to take a big, uh, just a bite of it without anything else. He did it again then it did it on live television that time and, and uh, lived to tell about it.
1: So I uh, I'm half Irish. And if, if I like, look at something that spicy, I break out into like a pool of sweat. Like I just start to, I just start to melt. So I've had it. It is, it does taste good. I don't, I certainly don't want the fine folks at, uh, at St. Elmo's to, uh, you know, to think I'm disparaging their, their, their hot sauce. There's a very funny recruiting story uh, revolving St. Elmo's uh, at Clemson. They do their team dinners for recruits at Hall's Chop House, which is a really nice restaurant in Greenville. There's also one in uh, Charleston. I believe there's one in Columbia, Nashville. Now, anyway, I love the Hall's chain. It, it's a it's a great family restaurant, great steakhouse. So it was Hunter Johnson from Indiana was the number one quarterback recruit in the country six, seven years ago. Right. So uh, one of them was of, back on the team this year. Went back he came back. Yeah, yeah. came back. yeah, came back. First grad transfer. Come on back, Hunter. Get in. Yeah. All in Um, the the good people at Halls to make Indiana native Hunter Johnson at home. They spent like part of the week of his official visit trying to recreate the Elmo's cocktail sauce at Halls to make him feel at home. So I don't know if that that would be be an extra benefit uh, of sinus cleansing or not. (laughs) But I always thought that was that that was an amusing uh, that was an amusing venture to try to uh, to try to cater to a top recruit.
0: Well, perhaps hotter than horseradish in Indianapolis was Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson, who soared up the boards. There's no denying his talent, his ability to throw the football. Everybody knows he can run. He's the prototypical size. The production at Florida, you know, wasn't what you would expect for a guy who's going to be at the upper part of the first round. And prior to Indianapolis, he wasn't going to be, I don't, I don't think, but now everything changed. How, how did that dynamic unfold as, as you watched it uh, in Indianapolis?
1: Yeah. Well, l- let me tell a story here. And I may have told this uh, over the summer on the pod, but two summers ago and th- some night in August sitting around, it's like a Sunday night or something. Uh, I get a call from a, a NFL scout who I've known for years and really trust. And he was like, do you want to look smart? And I was like, well, it'd be the first time for everything. Um, He said, Anthony Richardson is like a better Cam Newton at Florida. So he had just gone to a scrimmage there. And this Mm -hmm. is before anyone knew he was going to start. Anyone knew that he's like, you know, Florida had some pretty good players on defense two years ago. So there was a lot of NFL scouts there. This is sort of like one of their scrimmages where everybody could get a look. And he was just like, now, he reminds me of this all the time, by the way. I want to be very clear about that. But he was just like, this guy is going to be a top five pit. Like, no-brainer. Stake your claim in it. Mark it down. The, the whole thing. He he called the shot. And uh, if you go back to this season, Reese, I think Richardson had a really nice season. Um, he had 17 touchdown passes, nine interceptions, completed 54% of his passes, essentially, obviously flash some diamondism that, you know, is maybe unmatched at that position if you're not named Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is the fascinating Anthony Richardson aspect to me is if we were taping this pot a month ago, I would have said three quarterbacks go in the top 10 and Anthony Richardson goes in a slot similar to Lamar Jackson, who I believe went in the late 20s to mm-hmm. Baltimore, like a annual contender, annual playoff team, aging quarterback, took a guy, red shirt t- type of thing. That's where, in my mind, he was going to go. That's where the monograph seemingly had him. And that was a a developmental pick. Well, like 10 days ago, he became like the third pick in the draft. And I don't know how it happened, but it happened on everybody's – like every mock draft changed. And it was just sort of, wait a minute, Anthony Richardson is at seven? Anthony Richardson. And he might he might be one of the top four picks in the NFL draft this year. And he obviously flashed some things in Indy that were, that were pretty special. I think he had like the fastest 40 time um, by a quarterback in a long time. Uh, there was just – and he's obviously a big – Good looking guy. He, you know, he can really throw the ball. There's some natural Lewis Riddick had some good analysis of the breakdown of his throwing motion and how easy and locked in Mm -hmm. it all Mm -hmm. is compared to Will Levis, who's just a little bit more arm-centric and there's not the there's not the same fluidity there. But like this is the draft of Anthony Richardson. He is, to me, the quintessential boomer bust prospect. Like that GM is either going to like soar into the playoffs annually or get fired in two and a half years, whoever picks him. I mean, it's a fascinating NFL case of risk-reward.
0: One of the things that I read, and I would be interested to know what you heard about this, was I don't know that it was terribly surprising to those of us who watched him play at Florida that he would go out and wow the combine. Um, The question becomes, you mentioned the 54% completion percentage accuracy during the game. The one thing that I I suspect sent him soaring up the boards was that he pretty much proved to everybody, based on what I read, again, because I was covering basketball, not there, he pretty much proved to everybody that he certainly knows where to go with it when you diagnose it on the board, meaning that when he got up on the whiteboard and looking at the coverages, he he knows where to go. He understands concepts and coverages and all those types of things. The trick would be elevating that completion percentage so that when you know where you want to go, that it gets there accurately. Because there's no question that it's going to get there with velocity and, uh, and with a, a good throwing motion. It, did you get any indication that not only wowing them on the field in those drills, but wowing them in the room on the whiteboard was also a thing to say, okay, this one little thing, or it's not a little thing, but the one thing that you would hold against him, that being uh, overall accuracy and completion percentage and that type of thing. He's got all all of the intangible things around it to know that that can be be improved. And, you know, I've said this several times on the pod about Jalen Hurts. One of the things that people decide about quarterbacks is that they are what they are. They're not going to Jalen Hurts is a case study and and Josh Allen, too, for that matter. Got Got better, got better, got better, got better. And just because the guy's one thing is a prospect doesn't mean he can improve. And I suspect that maybe they saw the work on the board in the room and in the interviews and said, OK, we can work with that. And that guy's going to improve. Did you get any sense of that? So I got in the sense that he was
1: impressive, you know, in, in his meetings, uh, in his meetings with team. Let's remember. His freshman season, when he barely played, his quarterback coach was Brian Johnson. You just mentioned Jalen Hurts. Brian Johnson mm-hmm. is Jalen Hurts' his co- coach the last two years in Philadelphia, oversaw remarkable improvement in 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 Jalen Hurts. I thought Jalen Hurts made four throws in the Super Bowl that maybe fall off the couch, um, mm-hmm. and has really shown a uh, a steady progression from Alabama to Oklahoma throughout the uh, NFL. Obviously, Dan Mullen was the uh, was the offense coordinator, play caller. Dan Mullen, uh, one of the best quarterback developers that we've seen, I think in the last two decades in in college sports, if you go back to Alex Smith, you look what they did with Tim Tebow. Um, So obviously the Napier staff comes in, there's there's a whole new other offensive layer, but I feel like there was a great base of knowledge and he was, he was well taken care of from a, uh, from a quarterback perspective. So he was, he was very good in the room. Um, To me, I think the debate on him, is a little bit of the Josh Allen debate. Can you teach accuracy, mm-hmm. right? I mean, fifty-four percent is is I, I, I would I would think that's among the lowest in the SEC, right? Like when you when you start talking those those numbers, and much like Allen, the tools are there, the arm is there. Um, So much goes into accuracy. There's so much that goes into timing. There's so much that goes into just the the different nuances of the routes and the receivers and the connection and and those types of things. Um, The list of quarterbacks in college who threw less than 55, completed less than 55% of their passes who thrive in the NFL is probably a pretty short list, Reese, right? Mm -hmm. Like it can't be particularly long. So you have to believe that, the board capacity combined with the skill set you can marry them to make him a 65% passer in the NFL you know throwing against much more complex defenses and better defenders so i think it's a really i think he's the most interesting player in the draft right now
0: because he he can do a lot of things i'm scrolling through uh, some of the some of the stats here the advanced stats because i think one of the things you want to look at with anthony richardson is uh, you know his total qbr was seventy one, which is you know good, not great. You're know, looking at a uh, thing that we do with our advanced stats things. His pass bends, um, you know, the intermediate stuff. Now, how much of that was drops? Uh, how how many of them were catchable balls, but may not be drops? Intermediate stuff was where he was down in the fifties. You know, the fifteen to twenty was closer to sixty. And, you know, the, the deep stuff, except for the deep right side, and it's not a really big sample size. You have four out of five, you know, throwing pretty deep right. But the short stuff boosted it. The the short middle stuff was where uh, the completion percentage, percentage was down. Now, how much of that was accuracy? How much of that was, uh, you know, was uh, poor routes, miscommunication, all of those types of things that factor into it. And maybe the NFL guys are looking at it. I wish him well because, I mean, he is, uh, everybody you talk to, highly thought of. And you know he certainly he certainly doesn't have any of any of the questions that would come along with uh, uh, in terms of stature, like with Bryce Young. Um, you know, uh, I think there's you know maybe some question, not questions about arm strength, but there's some questions about Will Levis, not in terms of stature, but you know physical capabilities, that type of thing. You know, he's a big Will Levis, big physical guy, but he you know he didn't always produce in the in the biggest moments in the passing game. You know, it's a it's a really interesting thing. You know, because you know, I thought Bryce Young handled himself pretty well. The questions about about his size, you know, I've always been. How long size. have you been a short quarterback? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Pretty much, pretty much forever. And I still maintain that he would be, he would be one of the two or three best quarterback prospects I've ever seen. If he if he were six two, six three, but now with being five ten and a half or whatever it was, he. um You know, there are risks there just simply because there's not a history of uh, men of that stature excelling at quarterback position in the NFL. It's just that's just fact. That's the way it is.
1: You know, so who do you take, Reese? Say Trevor Lawrence disappeared from your beloved Jaguars (laughs) and you have a clean slate and you can take any one of these four or five guys sitting there high in the draft. Um, Who do you take?
0: Bryce Young. I'd, I'd spin the wheel of fortune because I think with the way the NFL's changed, I, they still have to be tough, rugged guys taking hits. But the quarterbacks are really protected now, and there is a lot of uh, a lot of Mahomes in his game in terms of arm angle and escape and finding and you know making plays. Um, I think there's that intangible quality to him. Uh, the stat is pretty amazing, despite their you know, by their standards, disappointing season at times. I read a note that I didn't realize during the season. He did not leave the field one time this season with his team trailing in the fourth quarter. Didn't leave the field. So every time they were behind, even in those games, they lost, he either got them even or, wow. or put them ahead. And... Now, look, that would probably need to be verified. But if that's even close to true, it shows you a little something. And you you certainly saw in the Heisman Trophy winning season what he could do. There would be a risk there. You'd be putting your job on the line with a 5'10 quarterback, especially one that's even though he's done a nice job adding a little bulk. um, He's he's a lean guy. He's not a you know, he's he's not a thick, imposing human being. He's never going to be. But he's done a really good job getting over 200 pounds to at least add some bulk to that frame. He's a great athlete. He's, you know, he's got tremendous vision. He's got guts. I would, I, I would take that because I think while there are questions about all of them, there are fewer about him and there's only one about him. And it's one that he's learned to compensate for basically his entire career. So I'd go there. Um, but it's one of, it's one of those things, man, that. You know, you had questions about Justin Herbert's accuracy and the occasional uh, propensity at Oregon to inexplicably throw a dirt ball. You know, and all of a sudden, you know, he turns out to be a star. Josh Allen, you know, same thing, didn't perform well against, uh, you know, their power five opponents when he got the opportunity in terms of stats. And now look at him, you know, all of those eight Patrick Mahomes, you know, went went. A little farther down than his NFL career would indicate. So Anthony Richardson, particularly as a guy who could wind up being the, how'd you not take him, guy? But probably trying to lessen, uh, mitigate the risk as best you can in the draft. I'd probably go Bryce Young,
1: Josh Allen at Wyoming. His junior and senior year, or I guess, his second and third year, uh, just depending on how you how you carve it up with redshirt and whatever, was a fifty six percent passer so
0: that's that's right in line with anthony richards it is it it is indeed
1: (laughs) do you believe now he to me there are certainly probably other examples but to me he's the one quarterback in the last decade who had distinct accuracy issues and fixed them in the nfl that usually does not happen and josh allen did that so Uh, that's why I'm going to take CJ Stroud for my metaphorical, uh, you know, local football team. CJ Stroud looked like, I mean, on air, he looked great in Indy, but that is not surprising because quite frankly, half the big 10 teams he played were like playing on air anyway. (laughs) Hey, he's going, I I think
0: all of these guys have a chance to be really good. History would tell you that one of them won't work out, maybe more than one, but at least one of them won't. Um, I hope it's not the case because, you know, CJ, CJ probably got some bad raps and at times, and really redeemed himself largely with that brilliant performance against Georgia in the playoff game. Woo! Got them in in position to win. Showed a facet of this game that he had been uh, not as eager to show in terms of running. I, I mean, I don't look at CJ Stroud. He's you know he's not a great athlete. He's not he's certainly not the runner Anthony Richardson is. He's not as uh, elusive as Bryce Young, but he's 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 enough back there. And he throws a, he throws a beautiful ball. And, you know, I think, I think he has a chance to have a, have a great career too. Uh, Real, real quick. We'll, we'll shift our gears a little bit here and start picking some conference championship games here. Would you, would you trade the pick if you were the bears or would you trade Justin Fields?
1: That's a great question. Um, there is so little functional around Justin Fields. But I mean, Justin Fields, when he left Ohio State, was a great passer. He was not a good passer. He was a great passer. Um, he has not appeared to be a great passer in the NFL, but they have a terrible offensive line. They have no skill. It's a generally dysfunctional franchise with with that, that has not set him up to succeed. Um, so I would think I would trade the pick. I would keep Justin Fields. I also don't think there is a quarterback here that I have the we're going to burn a former first round pick on that salary scale. Remember, so much of the NFL revolves around when you have the quarterback on that rookie deal and what you can do. Because then you're paying some Daniel Jones is going to make 40 million bucks. That was mm-hmm. good for one year. I mean, that thing just throws your entire structure out of whack. So I feel like Justin Fields in his skill set. Has earned one more year um, of of that, and I don't think there is a Trevor Lawrence, Andrew Luck, no brainer. Mm-hmm. Let's let's go. I think all these guys are all good. I think they're they're all you know. There's two or three of them who you'd think about taking at one, but you are so far behind if you are the Bears that assets you can gain from trading that top pick can fill in two or three needs as opposed to doubling down on something that may not end up being a need. So I, and I I don't think you can get a ton for fields right now.
0: Well, I, here's, here's why I would be probably a very poor general manager in any sport because I would be entirely too loyal to the players. Brief aside, like I'm a Braves fan, lifelong Braves fan. They traded David Justice and Marquise Grissom after they won the World Series. I don't do that now. Maybe long term you need. I would never do that. They would. They would be 142 years old. I mean, David Justice hit the big home run. Marquise Grissom caught the last out. They're braced for life. Period. That's why I'd be a bad GM. So I let's go ahead and get that out there and probably too. He's a sentimental guy, Reese. I am a little sentimental, so I'll understand if people disagree. Let me just put it as plainly as possible. I'm not trading Justin Fields because I still believe Justin Fields is going to be an excellent NFL quarterback. I am not trading Justin Fields. What I would try to do, because I'm sticking to this, in this draft, if you don't take Will Anderson first, you're doing it wrong. But, there, but you have to have a quarterback. I get that. The art for the Bears is to trade the pick, get some more trade assets, and still wind up high enough at the top so they can still take Will Anderson. If they do that, if they can keep Fields and get Anderson and collect another, uh, you know, it's more draft equity, that's what I would try to do. Now, everybody's now it's hard to do. That's easy for me to sit here and say, because everybody that you're trying to trade with, if you approach them with that, they know that's what you're trying to do. So that sure. you know, that drives down what you can get. But if you can, if you can somehow orchestrate that, if you can pit someone against the number two team in the draft who they fear is going to take uh, Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, whoever it is that they covet. If you can orchestrate that and then still hold your spot to be able to get Anderson, that's the win for the bears. That's the win for the bears at the top of the draft.
1: Yeah, I completely, I completely agree. Uh, Will Anderson, not only through productivity and talent, but also character um, is, you know, proven a pretty rare prospect. and uh, where do you think Jalen Carter goes, Reese? Um, I
0: still I still think he'll he'll go pretty high, pending other information coming out about this. Now about the situation, the tragedy at, at Georgia, but I, I still
1: think he probably don't
0: you still think he goes, you know, top five
1: to seven? Top yeah, eight if he's seven? after seven, I'd be pretty surprised. Yeah,
0: me me too. I mean, because he'll he'll have a chance to to answer some of the questions there's still some time before the draft and it's as you've rightly pointed out many times the these guys are exhaustive in terms of uh learning about the people they're about to stake their futures to so it's a tragedy surrounding them and you know i'm sure that Jalen carter you know whatever the connection to it uh you know has has dealt with a lot of grief as a result of it but as you know as it pertains To his draft situation i think that ultimately he'll wind up pretty close to where he was going to be drafted anyway so
1: i think that's fair i didn't get the sense of any drastic drop coming in indianapolis and remember the news literally dropped there so it was fresh um but even the overreactions weren't like he's gonna go 23rd Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah if you want more march madness talk Check out SV Pod with Scott Van Pelt and Stanford Steve. Championship week is actually Steve's favorite week of the year. And on Tuesday's episode, he has very prudent gambling advice for this time of year. Plus, Scott recaps his 36 hours in Breckenridge with his family, including an unburdening after a painful airport security experience. You can listen to your dad's favorite podcast, SV Pod Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, Member FDSE.
0: You wanna you wanna pick some conference tournament champions? Are are you gonna be first are you gonna be locked in on this, Pete? Are you gonna be now the best stories already happened in the Atlantic Sun. Um, speaking of patience oh, yeah. and being loyal to your guys, the Kennesaw state owls, are you, mm-hmm. are you familiar with where Kennesaw state is? You probably are, right?
1: I am familiar with Kennesaw state. Uh, they're about to join conference USA in, uh, in, in football Reese. I may or may not have broken that story. So <laughs> I, I am very familiar with, uh, with, with ambitious Kennesaw on the outskirts of Atlanta. And, uh, it's a, it's a school that has a huge student population. Yes. Um, it's like so. a mini UCF in some ways. Huh. Interesting way to put it. Yeah. You know, that, that makes uh, a lot of in sense. A met,
0: in a metropolitan area, big student population, facilities are pretty new, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of places. And they go, for those who might not know, uh, Amir Abdur Rahim is in his fourth year as the head coach there. In the 2019-2020 season, they went 1 and 28. Then they That's go not five, good. No, it's not. Then they go five and 19 then 13 and 18. Now they're going to the tournament, 26 and eight. And the guy who made the winning free throw, a man called Terrell Burden, was I think he started every game in that one in 28 season. And, And how about that? I mean, that that's that's the kind of stuff that that makes you root for teams in, in March
1: madness. So are you going to be locked in? Are you waiting? Oh, I'm locked in. I'm on the Furman bandwagon. Let, 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 let let it, let it be, let it be declared that I'm on the Furman bandwagon. They have not made the NCAA tournament, I believe since 1980. Bob Ritchie's developed a really good program there. The SoCon is a tough league, man. Like, you know, you had Steve Forbes at East Tennessee winning games like that. That is a, that is a, that is hand-to-hand combat in that league every night. They finished, I think, top three the last handful of years uh, the Paladins had. And this year they won both the regular season and the conference tournament. And uh, they're dancing. There's a little PJ Fleck and Bob Ritchie. There's a little PJ Fleck and Bob Ritchie. So um, I think he's the kind of guy who's going to capture a few microphones and some, some attention this week. And to me, when I'm picking those first-round upsets and looking and they're all matchup-based, you want – to pick a team from a league that has shown it has some metal before, right? And uh, the SoCon has shown uh, some pretty some pretty salty metal. So I am uh, I'm on the and watch. You're free how, to join me. How about this? I'm I'm looking at some of their some of their Ken Palm stats.
0: Um, highly efficient on offense because they're second in the country in two point field goal percentage. They shoot they shoot just under sixty percent from 2 it, point territory
1: nobody guards the two anymore i
0: know i guess i guess so they well it's it's i'm guessing and that their whole philosophy and i'm not going to i haven't watched them play a ton but they're kind of that new school analytics driven kind of thing because nearly half of their shots come from 3 so they they're they have to be uh much you know much like alabama at the rim mm. or behind the arc and you know they um they put a premium on that and sort of discourage the mid-range shot. So uh,
1: layups are threes—that's the way basketball is gone, for better or for worse. So help us, and yeah, I—I uh, yeah, uh, I think there could be uh, there could be a little uh, little magic in Old Furman. So that's that's that that's one team I've sort of latched onto already. Um, obviously Drake. Has been consistently good for for a long time here. The Valley is obviously another league that has uh, that has certainly produced some uh, some memorable March uh, March champs. And uh, did you did you see the end of the uh, of the SEMO game in the in the Valley tournament on Sunday with uh, when John Pelfrey's Tennessee Tech team nearly won on a reverse Leitner thirty plus years later? Did uh, you
0: see what? Wait, I, I did. Wouldn't that have been, wouldn't that have been something? Cause that still haunts John. It's yeah. uh, I, I once, I once played golf with John when he was the head coach at South Alabama. And uh, you know, we get around to about the 10th hole and I, I finally asked him about it and he goes, well, he goes, that might've set a record took you 10 holes. I said, I've been wanting to <laughs> since the, I said, I've been wanting to since the second, but I was trying to, you know, <laughs>
1: I know. Let it settle a little bit here first. So, uh, John Pelver, a good guy, well, I, a great guy. And I thought they had won difficult. that game, obviously, yeah. with with the three pointer, with the foot on the line, and uh, would have been nice for him. Tennessee Tech is a hard job. Whew. Oh yeah, that is that is a uh, that is a hard job in a in in the valley. Even you know what I mean. So the fact he had him literally a a shoelace away from the tournament says says a lot. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned Drake
0: too. Tucker DeVries, who plays for his father Darren at Drake, he, he is a he's a really good player, and yeah. uh, he's a guy that, that's a good team that could uh, that could upset some brackets in the early going. Conference tournaments uh, carry this odd weight. You know, sometimes people feel like they're undervalued. Billis has had a, a great um, idea, I think, as you kind of look for ways to. Uh, pump some more energy into it. He thinks that the at-large selection should be made and announced prior to championship week. Okay. And then, Uh you know, if you're in, yet you're picking off teams at the bottom, you know, if Mm -hmm. you like, like for instance, if you're sitting there and you're the last team in, then you, the last thing you need is for North Carolina to win the ACC. The last thing, you know, you need is for, uh, you know, one of the teams off the bubble in the big 10 to win the big 10 tournament because they knock you out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but because a lot of it is already settled, uh, you know, you'll hear people say it's good that they get beat in the semifinals because they get to rest. rest yeah. Um, you know, there's no team that's ever lost its first game in the conference tournament that went on to win the national championship. Do you know that?
1: I didn't, I'd heard that some version yeah. of that stat o- over the years. And I guess I didn't know if that has held, uh, has held true. Didn't Jerome Tang say something last week where like some years we'd go to Kansas City and hope we lost early to go rest? Probably.
0: I mean, because I think that there, there's something to that, Pete, because last year Virginia Tech, uh, won the ACC tournament. We were there. And I mean, they looked like a machine. You know, mm-hmm. you're thi- you're thinking these guys are going to be, you know, a major problem in the NCAA tournament, but they they sort of run out of gas and they didn't, you know, they didn't play at that same level in the in the NCAA tournament. And you know, I think they pretty sure they went out. Yeah, they went out. Yeah, got beat by Texas. Now it's you know that's a you know pretty pretty tough draw, but still you know, you thought they're going to give them problems and they, you know, they went out quickly after winning four games in four days. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think there's, I think there's a lot to that depending on, depending on where your team is. But then there's always the UConn 2011 philosophy where they
1: ran sure. through, won the Big East and ended up winning the national championship
0: yeah. as Didn't well. Didn't
1: Syracuse lose in the first round after they made that Jerry McNamara run? Um, I want to say it might've been 08. They lost to the a in the first I, round. I think, after, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Those nights in New York can be long. You think, uh,
0: before we pick these tournaments quickly, Jim Bayheim era continues next year. Yes or no?
1: Yes, but no one knows. I would, I would say is the answer right now. There's a lot of ambiguity hanging over there and I don't think the administration knows. I don't think he knows. And, uh, yeah, I think there is, there is dramatic tension, uh, with your old boss John Wildhack hanging hanging over uh hanging over there. The fact that they ended the season the way they did Reece certainly didn't help. Um, and I think a lot of it's gonna come down to like if you can say, hey, this is what we're going to be next year with Judah Mintz and a couple of those nice young pieces, and maybe a transfer or two, and this thing can be competitive. Um, but if if that roster starts bleeding away, um, and it's another rebuild, I don't, I don't know if uh if he's going to stick around for that or they're going to want him to stick around for that. So it's going to be awkward. Like most people who've been in a school that long are going to want to hold hands and sing, sing kumbaya with the administrators, and everything like that. That is not how Jim is wired. So this is all this is all going to be it's it's that to me is one of the three most fascinating stories here. You know, hanging over the sport non, you know, non floor related. You obviously have. Texas, the Calipari thing has calmed down a little bit because they've, uh, they've started to win basketball games, which can calm the Commonwealth some. But, uh, yeah, and then Chris Beard is the other one. Does he end up back at Tech? Does he end up at Ole Miss? Yeah. Kentucky, by the way, I believe
0: is going to win the SEC tournament. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're uh, playing really well. Like, they playing really well right now. Yeah. So let's start there. I, I'll, I'll take Kentucky and the SEC. Who, do you, who wins the SEC tournament?
1: So I, I'm not going to pick Alabama. Like I, I will start. Uh, I, I will start right there. Um, I just don't think they are. Uh, they are wired to uh, to win this thing. So I want to pick a dark horse or two. I'm not going to pick all the top seeds. I'm certainly not going to pick who you pick. Um, so I'm going to take Tennessee. Like even ooh. even
0: without Zakai Ziegler, that's yes. a, now
1: that's a bold pick. Yes. Well, here's here's the thing about Tennessee is every single person in America is going to pick them to lose early in their bracket. Right. Mm-hmm. And is Ziggler out out for the yes, rest of the year? He, yeah, he's done for the season. He's yes. done for the season. So that obviously that 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 will that will certainly take a pessimistic outlook and, and, and darken it. But I do think they can still squeeze the life out of a game. Um, and I do think there is, you know, enough high end talent to, uh, to to make a push. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the Valsries ok, then i'll I'll give you uh, I'll give you first swing at the the Big East tournament. Who wins the Big East? So when you look at the Big East tournament right now, God, I wish Creighton was playing better because that that that's a team that that it, like it should have it should be working better than it is right now. I'm gonna go with Shaka. I'm gonna go with Marquette. I just think they've been consistently dominant in that league every year. You know, I was tempted to pick UConn. They've been up and down. My dark horse would be Providence because I, I like how they're built. I think Providence is a great NCAA tournament value team. Um, I really think age has become the factor in picking NCAA tournament teams, and Providence is big and they're old, and those two things matter as uh, as you go. But uh, but it's it's just hard to ignore what Marquette has done consistently week in and week out in that league.
0: Uh, it's It's been great shaka is in a good good place comfort zone wise but i'm going to go with the best team in that league regardless of the seating and the best team in that league is connecticut and so i'm now i do you know providence uh that four four five game with uconn and providence assuming we we get there is uh is a little little scary because I like Ed Cooley's team for the reasons that you mentioned. And they and they got UConn pretty good uh, early in the season. Um UConn paid them back most recently. So now the rubber match. But I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with Connecticut there and say that say that they win the Big East as the fourth seed. What about the Pac-12?
1: So my early favorite, I'm gonna tip my hand here for all our ed say tournament podcasts, My early favorite that I think. Will win the NCAA tournament as UCLA. I really like UCLA. I feel like they're old. Feel like they're experienced. I feel like just being out west, they've been they, they'll be slightly undervalued compared to those who will be picked to uh, to to win the NCAA tournament. So I just think a lot really lines up for them right now. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go with the Bruins, but uh, just just let let it be known that I'm on the front of that bandwagon.
0: I, I was asked on a radio show yesterday. Uh, one team that I would not bet against in a one-game scenario going into the tournament, and I clarify, it was Dallin Cuff who asked me, mm-hmm. and I said, "Now are you talking about a team down the line?" He goes, "No, whatever you want, a team that you just wouldn't bet against." And and I said UCLA. So I don't I don't like it when we go together mm-hmm. like that. But I I too am leaning right now to Selection Sunday when we do our podcast to declaring that the Bruins are going to win the national championship. So I'll go UCLA in the Pac-12. Uh, in the Pac-12 as well, which brings us, which brings us to the Big Ten. Who Oof. wins the Big Ten?
1: Oof. what an internal slog that league is. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer your question. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you a question back quick. Do you think we see the same thing in the Big Ten this year, where like eight teams get in and <laughs> one team or two teams make it to the uh, to the second weekend? The, uh,
0: yes probably yeah. it all depends yeah. on matchups but that's sort of that that's sort of what i suspect and, yeah. and they're all worthy and they're all and they're yeah. all good but i they're all uh they all have those they're all eminently beatable yeah maybe is the best
1: way to put it so. yes the least eminently beatable in my mind in this tournament is indiana um i feel like they have the talent i feel like they've generally played well the last three or four weeks um Trace Jackson Davis is the best player in that league, with apologies to Zach Boy, Boys, Purdue just feel like the wheels are coming off a little bit too. You know what I mean? Just young guards, and there's seemingly a little bit of a game plan to beat them. They seem a little, a little bit worn down. So uh yeah, I just think Indiana, I, I don't think I'm going out on any limbs there, is the uh is 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 the safest pick, especially with that, with that double buy.
0: That would have been my inclination, but so I will go with a secondary pick. In the in the Big Ten, uh, just because just because you took the team that I was going to pick, and I agree with you about Purdue, I'm going I'm going to go with Iowa. It's not bad. I almost, I almost said Illinois. I was sitting here debating internally: Are you going to say Illinois or Iowa? Iowa won it last year, which gives me uh, gives me some pause. But they can score, and that's. Uh, that that's always my default go to. As Seth Greenberg will tell you, if uh, if I'm if I'm struggling over uh, you know over two teams, okay, who can score? Well, it's Iowa. They're they're third in the country in offensive efficiency. Uh, Chris Murray's been uh, terrific. Uh, they're pretty deep. Uh, so I'm I'm going to say Iowa goes goes back to back because uh, you know what? Forget that you took Indiana. I'm just going to double down and say it. Iowa's going to go back to back in the Big Ten. Big right. tournament up with all McCaffrey's. Yes. Yes. All right. So I'm saving the big 12 for last. I'll be at the ACC tournament, which is another one that's totally up in the air. And I'll start with this one. Uh, I think Duke's going to win the ACC tournament. Um, I
1: knew you were jumping in line to take Duke.
0: Yeah, I, I, I got to jump the line and take Duke. Duke I'll Homer, Duke family
1: ties. You do all their games every Tuesday. That's true, but
0: but away. the but some would argue that the family ties are the other shade of blue. North Carolina with uh, with my relationship with Hubert, but uh, I think Duke's. Played, I thought you were going
1: to say with Drake May,
0: yeah, <laughs> which uh, who I saw in Chapel Hill the other day. By the way, I told him he was going to owe me a cut for the way that I've 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 pumped Ooh. him up. But Duke's won six in a row, not against exactly the a most stout competition, but it's more the way they're playing. Um, they've got rim protector. The the freshman guard, Tyrese Proctor, has really matured in his games. The season's gone along. It's been brought up several times, that he reclassified. You know, wasn't supposed to arrive in college until next year. Uh, you know, Mark Mitchell, they got a couple of old guys coming off the bench, transfers from the Big Ten, and uh, Jacob Grandison, who was at Illinois, and Ryan Young, who was at Northwestern. They, I think they've, I think they've gotten healthy. They have put it together to requite heads, the sort of the X factor. I think they can not only, I think they'll win the ACC tournament. Not only that, I think they are dangerous. They're going to be probably what, six seed, maybe something like that. I think they're going to be really dangerous in the NCAA tournament as well.
1: Yeah. They will be the most like overpicked seed of where they are just because you can't deny the talent. I mean, the talent is the talent, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Yeah. And, and it's a little bit thematically similar to what we've seen with Kentucky Reese, right? Like you have all these great young players, they go through adversity, they grow, like they're not ready-made products just because they have a big Instagram following, right? Like you have to fail, you have to grow, you have to, teams learn how to play you, you have to, you have to develop physically enough. You have to learn how to deal with, uh, with the physical, uh, with the physical play of college. So I really think that, uh, yeah, I really think Duke is gonna Duke is gonna find some 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 bulls. I think that is the uh, that is that is the best uh, the, the the best way to do it. I am going to use this time to talk about Virginia, who I saw play at Boston College the other night, and they were ghastly bad. Right? Mm-hmm. They're the number two team in the uh, ACC, number two seed, obviously earned. They're the number thirty six Ken Palm team, and that's scary to me. Right? Like that that. You know, in terms of defense, they're not what they were. Uh, they're 34th. They were obviously a perennial top 10 team. Offense, even though some of those offenses under Tony Bennett were were kind of they could be drudgery at times and in, in, in low scoring, um, they're they're adjusted for efficiency 73rd. So. They're playing in the same tempo that they've played. They just aren't playing with the same efficiency level. So uh, Virginia is just a a team generally that uh, that that would scare me some. Just not only in the ACC tournament but beyond. So that said, I'm going to take take the old Pitt Panthers who slipped to the five seed. All right, they were you know for 85 percent of the season the best team in that league. They are old. And uh, I think there's a chance they could make a nice little run in uh, in Greensboro. I think it would mean a lot to them that, you know, this isn't a let's tuck our tails and get ready for the NCAA tournament type uh, type team. So I am uh, I'm going to go with the uh, the old team that Jim Beheim thinks Jeff Capel bought.
0: <laughs> you know, the how about that? If That doesn't epitomize what the ACC has been like. Pittsburgh had a shot, not like a literal shot in Miami. To win the game, they win the game. They're the number one seed in the ACC. They lost. They fell to the five, and they're also on the bubble. So it's a, it's an important couple of days for them. They've lost three of their last five. They lost to Notre Dame and Bray's home farewell. So you know they lost to Virginia Tech, who's you know not quite what it was last year. So pretty pretty important stretch uh, in the ACC tournament. Or Capel's team now, the best conference in the country all year, Big Twelve. Who do you have?
1: It's it's going to be hard for me to, uh, to to not pick Kansas. I just I, I and look, this is going to be a tournament where we're not going to have four number one seeds in the final four like we did in 09 or, or or whatever year that was. But I just I just really feel like when you uh, w- when you dial in and look at it, I have a hard time. Trusting Texas for a couple consecutive nights, I have a hard time thinking Kansas State has the depth in the in the juice. So, um, you know, when in, when in doubt, roll with uh, roll with Bill Self. Look, Baylor could obviously could obviously win the darn thing. You know that that wouldn't uh, that that wouldn't shock me. But I'm gonna I've not defaulted to a lot of obvious one seeds or jumped in line to take Duke when giving myself a chance. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the favorite <laughs> in the Big Twelve.
0: I'm gonna go with. I mean, me saying this will probably guarantee that you get another Kansas, Texas one, two matchup. I'm going to go TCU. Hmm. Now they've got a, they've got a, they've got a really, they could be out. I mean, they play Kansas state who's really, really good, but I'm going to say Jamie Dixon's team, Mike miles uh, that they kind of, they kind of get on a heater here and that they, uh, that they get to the championship. And and since you took Kansas, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, give us a little variety and I'll, I'll take TCU.
1: Yeah. Well, Reese, I think the important thing here is, uh, people who listen to our podcast, I really hope do so because they don't want to work and they want to sit at their cubicles and be entertained. And there is no better week of the year to sit at your cubicle and quietly put your browser up in the corner of your computer and watch glorious afternoon basketball like this week. Uh, it's, I mean,
0: for whatever, there's a gut of regular season games. You can see your team every game some way, no matter who you root for. And that's a wonderful thing. But the one thing it does is that it takes the regular season and it makes it really difficult. If you are an Oregon fan to get really excited about the Northwestern Maryland game, you know, Mm, uh, all of that comes, uh, comes home and comes to fruition. And it happens once the NCAA tournament starts, then you do care. You know whether you've whether you've watched the Big Ten all year because you're a Pac-12 guy or you know uh, you're an SEC guy and you and you never watched the Big Twelve. Everybody will be invested. Uh, people will be invested that love college basketball. People will be invested that never watch basketball, and that's why it's it's one of one of the greatest and it is the greatest. Uh, extended sporting event that, that we have in American sports. I and
1: many people said. will actually be invested too. Yes, they will.
0: <laughs> they, they will. Emotionally <laughs> and otherwise, for sure. And, and we'll all fall victim to, to this. You tell yourself before you see your friends, you talk to somebody on your phone, you remind yourself, nobody cares what you did in your bracket. Nobody cares. And yet, because the drama is so overwhelming, and the fun of trying to pick it correctly is so much, you invariably will tell people, "Oh, I missed this when I knew I had that. I almost went here." And you know, and you're there's that little voice in your brain saying, "Stop talking. Yeah. This person doesn't care about this." Yeah. And yet, you can't stop yourself, and that's
1: part of the beauty of it. I think so. everyone is invested. If you, uh, if, if, if you will, we'll see if, uh, we'll, we'll see if Teddy Thammel can beat us in his, uh, in, in his first, uh, in his first bracket, he was, he was around last tournament, but we didn't want to put the pressure on him at a month old to, uh, to pick, but we think he's, we think he's ready now.
0: That that's a great idea. Teddy find some way for Teddy to pick the entire bracket and let's see how he does against us. Yeah. yeah. My, my, my daughter, who's not really a sports fan either once won her bracket, simply by picking who won the most games didn't care about competition didn't care about conference she saw looked at the records oh they're 30 and 3 i'm picking them and she and she won her her contest
1: she's gonna have charleston going deep
0: if they win yeah she will that's it's a, a tried and true method all right pete always fun man we'll uh, we'll talk throughout the tournament for sure
1: Yeah, looking forward to it, Reese. Appreciate it. And our listeners can look for some amped-up coverage here, Conference Tournament Week and going into the NCAA Tournament, some instant reaction pods, and uh, hopefully we can capture the madness and uh, help you care a little more about your bracket.